This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Good morning. It is such a joy to be back with you again. And uh, uh, as Russell has said, uh, this is my last time on, on this bout of trips uh, but it has been a joy, and I just want to tell you, just uh, a, a young, growing preacher, uh, you have intentionally stopped by, you've shaken my hand, you've given me encouragement, and that means so much to me. And so thank you, and, and I trust uh, that even in my youthfulness, if you like, as we're opening God's word, that the Spirit of God will continue to move in your hearts, bringing comfort and correction and pointing us all to the Lord Jesus Christ as he continues to bring us close to one another. Amen? Amen. Uh, with that said, we're going we're gonna to go to Philippians 4, and I'm going to have you stand in just a second, but hold tight. Uh, you can begin to make your way to Philippians 4 in your copy of God's Word. Just a quick reorientation of where we're at in the book. Um, Josh has been walking you through Philippians 3, and, and we saw Paul lay down his pedigree, didn't we? His religious pedigree. We, we saw him lay down uh, his religious activities. In fact, the, the, the zealous one, uh, this zealous Israelite said, all of my righteousness that I could acquire for myself means nothing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So I give it all away for the sake of, of, of Christ and the righteousness that he has imputed to me. And uh, we all say hallelujah and amen. And with that context, Paul then goes on to say, now I press on towards the prize. It is my goal to press towards the Lord Jesus Christ and to run towards him now with all of my strength. And Paul is echoing what he's talked about uh, in Philippians chapter 2, where he said to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not working for God's favor, it's working from God's favor. Uh, God supplies what he commands. So God gives you the ability by the power of his spirit to obey him. Now, why would I want to remind you of those truths? Because we're about to enter into a passage that is, is lightning fast with commands, uh, God, Paul is going to write here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's going to tell us to be doing some things, but we have to remember the context of all that we do is out of an overflow of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely imperative that we don't switch up our gospel language and put the imperative before the indicative or put the command before the grace of God given to us to fulfill the command. I know that many of you know that and could preach that better than I could preach it. But I just thought I would remind us of that this morning. Uh, and then Josh, when he ended his sermon last week, he ended on a major point of standing firm. Uh, and he was talking about pressing towards the prize and finishing your race and standing firm. And Paul knows that we all need great reminders. And he knows that it's not just, you're not just going to make a decision one time to stand firm. You're going to have to make that decision a lot over the course of your Christian life, as many of you know very, very well. But Paul wants us to know that there are two things in particular in chapter 4 that are going to get in our way of standing firm. I'm going to mention one, and then one of them we're going to, we're going to camp out on in our time together this morning. Uh, the first one is he knows that standing firm can be challenged when there is disunity in the church, when there is relational disorder. 
And so Paul's going to address that uh, between two members of the church there at Philippi. He's going to tell them to agree in the Lord because their names are written in the book of life. Your names are written in the book of life. You must agree together because the Lord is bringing you together. Okay, so we agree in the Lord. But the other thing that Paul knows that we're going to deal with along the way is he knows that we're going to deal with anxiety. As we are trying to patiently wait, he knows that worry, a synonym here for anxiety, is going to be part of our temptation. And Paul will be sympathetic in addressing it, but the Holy Scriptures make sure that we understand we are to not be a people that are filled with worry. God does not want you to have worry in your life. He wants to use your concerns as a vehicle to bring you into the throne room of grace. That's what was said up here a little while ago, read out of Hebrews chapter 4. That's what God is doing for us. And we remember that the book of Philippians uh, is laced with this word joy or to rejoice. Uh, that joy is beyond uh, happiness, which is, can be circumstantial and is temporal, that joy comes from the Lord, and that is eternal, and transcends our circumstances. It transcends how we feel in the moment. And that's the joy that is planted into our heart by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and to remind us that Jesus said in John that his joy will be in us, and our joy will be full. We will have the joy of the Lord in us. And that's part of what Paul is going to pick up on as an antidote of combating worry. With that said, if you have the ability to stand, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Philippians chapter 4, I'm actually going to start us in, in verse 4 and go down through verse 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Our God and our Father, we come to the throne of grace this very hour. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God that doesn't just invite us to come. You command us to come. And you command us to come with confidence because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you tell us, Lord, that we are to appeal to your strength. And so we do that this hour, God. I know, Father, with a, this kind of company, that there is 
people in this room or people that know someone outside of this room that are being plagued with worry, concern, and some of that is self-imposed and inflicted, and some of that is because of suffering and uh, in areas uh, of confusion. And I pray, Father, that you will speak a better word in and over us today, God. And by your mercy, Lord, would you show us Christ, that we may see the Prince of Peace as you bring peace to guard our hearts and minds. So, Lord, speak to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts that want to align with you. And may we, Lord, this day, not just be hearers of your word, but a doer of your word. We ask this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. I was uh, talking with a young man recently, um, and he uh, was going through, he's going through a major, major trial right now. Uh, there is a, a physical ailment that, uh, that he has, and it seems to be getting worse. And as I was talking with him, uh, he was really struggling because he went through the dual process of uh, he, he had, uh, you know, went to the word of God and, and he went to the elders to pray for him and he, um, he was fasting over the issue. He, um, he wrote down all the pros and cons of what would happen if the issue went south really quick. He was doing everything in his power in his energy, even using spiritual means, but he was doing it in his energy, trying his best to figure out how do I get control of this situation. And he was becoming more and more paralyzed by what could be versus what was. Uh, he needed to be brought back as we were talking, and it wasn't just me talking, it was a collective group of us giving counsel to him, but trying to counsel him to, uh, to be um, in the moment for today. Tomorrow has enough worries for itself. Don't worry about tomorrow, worry about right now. And don't worry, let's go to the Lord together. And that was kind of part of what we were trying to do with him and he still said, I am just so struggling. I just cannot do this in my strength, and I don't want this. I start with something that's pretty heavy like that, because I know that there are some of you in here that that actually may be your story right now. Or maybe you know someone whose story that is, who needs help. And I start that way with you, because what we're talking about is not just a theological platitude. This is a practical, on-the-ground, heart-shaping prescription that the Apostle Paul gives us for combating worry. Many of those things that I'm going to name in our sermon, I just named this young man did. But he must continue to do. Just like you, if you worry, that worry in and of itself is not going to go away completely. But when the temptation comes, Paul gives us a prescription, spiritually speaking, to fight back and combat worry. But I want to put you 
in the right mindset of the Apostle Paul as we move into our passage here in just a second. The Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Remember, where is the Apostle writing from? He's writing from a prison cell. He's not an a armchair theologian in sitting in air conditioning with his choice drink in his hand. He is in a situation where he was a bondservant, faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's imprisoned, and he's saying, Church, I have a secret for you. There is substance in rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is taking us to before he gives the prescription. And so he says, rejoice always. You have a lot of reason to rejoice. And he's named much of that. Uh, He's named the work of God's grace among them in their partnership in chapter 1. He named uh, in chapter 2 what the humiliation and exaltation of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, will bring about. And so the Apostle Paul is focusing our heart and our mind uh, on, on the Lord when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The, the, the context in which Paul begins to give this prescription, and we'll do it in just a second, is an eschatological context. When he says the Lord is at hand, it's, there's, most commentators say that there's a twofold thing going on. The first thing the Lord is at hand is the Lord, by the power of the Spirit, is with you in every moment and will not leave you and is there to comfort you. But the second thing is the Lord is going to bring about the realities very soon in his second coming to which he had promised. There, we're in the, the, the already and the not yet. I'm sure you probably have heard that before. Uh, the Lord Jesus has brought something about, and yet he's going to finish that work that is going to culminate um, in his second coming. Okay. You remember this at the end of John chapter, I think it's at chapter 18. The disciples are sitting in the room, and they're absolutely frightened. Everything they had just given their life to. For three years, they had given up their businesses. I'm thinking of James and John uh, giving up their fishing business to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, They had given up relationships. They had given up their status in community. Uh, They had given up their money, all to follow Christ. And then this Jesus is crucified and put in a grave. But you remember the story, don't you? Trembling in a room, the Lord appears to them. And what does he say? Peace be with you. That's the context and the reality and the gravitas into which Paul is going to give this prescription to us. Is he knows the Prince of Peace. And he knew those disciples of the Lord Jesus and himself an apostle of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus took this zealous religious man whose heart was running rampant to try to find an anchoring peace in some kind of righteousness. And he said, peace be with you. And that peace will be brought to its fullness, brothers and sisters, one day. And the Lord will take all things that are wrong and overturn them 
and make them right. So when he says, peace be with you, that eschatological reality is to anchor your heart today. So he says, the Lord is at hand. And then he gives this prescription. How do we combat? How do we combat our worry? We are to have right praying, right thinking, and right living. Let me show it to you in the text. Right praying. He says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. This idea of anxiousness, uh, it, is, it is to be perplexed in your mind and, and it is to have doubt and to be pulled in different directions. When, when our lack of control and our fears intersect, we start to get pulled in different directions. And the Apostle Paul is going to say, let me help you realign. And so he says, We have right praying as part of the prescription. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And I love what uh, the the importance of being aligned, what one theologian wrote. He said, he's talking about how anxiety steals our joy. How anxiety is actually the threat to our joy and to our peace. And this is what he says. Joy is not so much a spontaneous emotion as a response formed in those who can read the economy of God's activity in particular ways and are able to act in conformity with the unfolding story. I want you to hear this part. Joy is the appropriate response when one rightly perceives the unfolding of God's drama of salvation even in the midst of suffering and opposition. So Paul's going to say, pray rightly, that you may know and see God's kingdom come. We just did the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he'll say, pray about, or he said, be anxious about, uh, do not be anxious about anything. And this is really important because we all could probably think of a list of things that we know for a fact we should not be anxious about or we should not worry about. But there are other things over here that we think are credible things that we should worry about, okay? This is where you should look at your neighbor and say, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Just look at your neighbor and say, nothing. Nothing, thank you, okay. Some of you, some of you went with that. That's okay, I understand. And here's the thing. If there was anybody, (laughs) if there was anybody, some of you started preaching to your neighbor. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Uh, If there's anybody who should worry, the Apostle Paul should worry. Uh, Think about this. He's in prison. He could be worried about being malnourished. Are are his friends going to bring him food? Uh, He could be worried about talking to these high government officials. What am I going to say? How am I going to say it? When am I going to say it? Uh, He could be worried about the people of God who he's in prison for. He's in prison as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ for serving these different churches, and now there's these super apostles that are running around rampant, and this is what they're telling the church. If he was truly an apostle and a man of God, why would he be in prison? If the Messiah truly has come, why is he in there? If, if God has shown his favor on the Apostle Paul, so to speak, 
They're trying to overturn what Paul, in his painstaking labor, had been so firm on implementing and saying to them, I didn't just bring the gospel to you. I shared my life as well. That's what he says in 1 Thessalonians. And I believe that was his practice where he went. He shared his life with the people because they had become so dear to him. And here are these people outside of this prison who are taking his name and running it through the mud. And they're trying to cut off his relationships with the people of God. Paul had a lot he could have been worried about, but he said, I pray about everything. And so should you. Uh, He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer, as J. Oswald Sanders has said, is not supplemental to our faith. It is fundamental. It is like breathing for the human body. Prayer is for the Christian. That's what J. Oswald Sanders' illustration for us. And we all know that, and we all probably have taught that to someone else at some point. But it's really, really humbling, and it is humbling for this pastor this morning to look at my own life and to say, when are the times that I struggle to pray the most? It's the times when I worry. I make the list. I try to solve the problem. I want to do it in my strength. And the Lord says, like he did to Moses, be still, like it's echoed in Psalms 46.10, and know that I am God. Prayer forces us to be still. By prayer, we mean devotion to the Lord. We mean a worship. When we feel worried, we should go to God in worship. It's counterintuitive. But what happens when we worship God? We actually see who he is. There's adoration. We're reminded that he is the all-knowing one, that he has complete power, that he is sovereign over creation and nothing can thwart his power. That's Job 42.2. And, and when we're reminded of God's majesty, his rule, his plan, and his goodness and faithfulness and intimate involvement in our lives, it begins to anchor our soul and move us back from the table of worry. I had a, a teacher just tell my wife this, and she, is, she has kind of put this in my heart, and I believe it's really good. Uh, he said, a great way to be reminded of the character of God is to remember that God is sovereign, good, and intimate. And usually, in, in the middle of worry, one of those three things are going to be attacked. With my dear brother that I opened up with, who's really struggling right now, he 100% believes God is sovereign. I believe God is in complete control. And he's really struggling with, is God good? Paul's going to speak to that in just a second. Perhaps some of you are wrestling with that. But it's really important for us to remember God is sovereign. God is good. And he is intimately involved in our lives. But what does prayer do? When we adore God and we we come to him in prayer, it realigns our will to God's will. 
It, 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 uh, it gives us a sense of uh, that spiritual appetite. Um, it, it, it takes us out of the temporal into the eternal. It, it brings us to the reality that if I believe all things are going to come to pass and God is going to fulfill his will at the second coming of Christ, what I'm praying right now, whether the body of this young man is healed right now or on the other side of glory, take note. It will happen. And so Paul tells us to come to the Lord in prayer and to remember his greatness and his majesty. Why? So that we can realize that he is big enough, the Lord is big enough to solve our problems. But what else does he say about prayer? He says, by prayer and supplication. Uh, Supplication is an earnest sharing of our needs and our problems. This is not by definition half-hearted prayers. This is with all of your heart throwing yourself on the mercy seat of God and saying, God, please hear me and know that he bottles up our tears and he does not ignore our prayers. A broken and contrite heart and a submissive heart before God, he hears it, beloved. He will not ignore your prayer. He's listening to you on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ has done. If what Jesus done is sufficient, then you coming to the throne of grace, you are accepted. And God has given you covenantal promises that he wants you to be reminded of in these moments of prayer. And so you bring your supplication before the Lord. And know this, that supplication is not a matter of carnal energy but of spiritual intensity. Meaning, you do not come to the Lord with supplication in your own strength, but by the power of the Spirit of God. The, the scriptures that he is giving you to fill your mind, this is why it's so important, and I'm getting ahead of myself, to know God's word. is to bring that word back to the Lord and say, Lord, you said. It reminds us when we bring our supplication to the Lord, though, that he is the all-sufficient one and that we are the ones that's dependent. Here's why I say that and how it relates to worry. When you realize that you are the dependent one and I realize I'm the dependent one, it's easier to let go of trying to have control. It's it's, uh, easier to say, I'm going to submit to the Lord's will and even... If it's something in a situation where I cannot understand it, it doesn't make logical sense to me, I can trust the Lord even with that. You remember the story, don't you, of Job? He had all kinds of things that he asked God. When we get to the end of Job, God doesn't even answer what he's asking. God gives him a transcendent truth that he is the all-sufficient one, the creator of heaven and earth, that he is the one in control, that his wisdom is beyond anything that Job could ever dream about. Job can't even conceive the wisdom of the Almighty, and Job realizes it in the presence of God, and he says, I put my hand over my face, and I put my face in the dust. I have saw the Almighty. I do not challenge his wisdom, even if I can't understand it. Now that, there are times when that can be a hard providence. It's hard. 
And it's important in those moments to do the very next thing. What Paul says, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an appreciation. So there's adoration, supplication, and appreciation. That's right praying. Adoration, supplication, appreciation. It's considering uh, God's faithfulness. We were on a mission trip. Uh, my wife and I took a team, and we took our two-year-old and our one-year-old uh, on this mission trip with us for six weeks to Thailand. We went to Khan Can, Thailand, and we had 13 college students with us. Was that a good idea? <laughs> God was gracious. That's how I know God's faithful, guys. <laughs> my wife did not die, praise the Lord. <laughs> but one of the things that she did with her discipleship group uh, that revolutionized. They were just struggling. They were struggling with different things in the culture there. Um, they were experiencing culture shock, different food, different language, different, 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 different. And they found themselves uh, complaining. And she said, here's what I want you to do for the rest of the summer. I want you to take a folder here, a little journal, and I want you to have a Thanksgiving journal. And I just want you to write down how, what are things that you can be thankful for God for every single day. Just, I want you to look. Uh, we call this in preaching having a homiletical mind. Uh, Russell will probably tell you this. Uh, just with preaching, I mean, you start looking for sermon illustrations everywhere, folks. I mean, you're looking for them in movies. You're looking for them in reading. You're looking for, you're looking for the hand of God everywhere. And that's what they were doing in this Thanksgiving journal. They were looking for God's hand. And when you look close enough with a humble heart, you will find his hand all over everything. You'll start seeing his movement. And it won't be just in your life. You'll see it in your brothers and sisters. And even though my brother that I started the illustration with at the beginning of the sermon, even though he, he's trying to trace God's faithfulness in this situation, he's tracing God's faithfulness to me and to my family right now, some things that God's doing with us. He's tracing it, uh, what God's doing at Second Presbyterian Church. And he's seeing that, and that's giving him just enough faith for today. So even when you have to look outside of yourself because your circumstances seem so blight, look over to your neighbor and see, what is God doing around me? And I encourage you to have a Thanksgiving journal. What does gratitude or thanksgiving do for us in our prayer life? It preserves our prayers from going sour with complaint or degenerating into a list of self-centered demands, as one commentary put it. And I agree. That's exactly what prayer does, is it keeps us from becoming uh, just a complainer who wants it your way or just a self-centered believer who only thinks about yourself. Uh, that's what Paul tells us not to do at the beginnings of Philippians chapter 2, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others. Uh, prayer helps us get outside of ourselves. Thanksgiving helps us get outside of ourselves and see God's hand, not just in our life, but in the covenantal community, and that will give us strength for today. Uh, it's the... Uh, I heard John Piper say this one time. Uh, he was speaking at one of our conferences. Uh, he was talking about times of doubt and where he was struggling with worry. And he said he would be sitting in the front row getting ready to stand up and preach. But as he listened to the voices of God's people sing, that wave of God's faithfulness came crashing over his shoulder and into his heart. 
as he listened to the people of God sing praises to God about his faithfulness and to his mercy. It's important, brothers and sisters, to come to church and to sing and to pray and to participate because you never know what your neighbor may be going through. And as they hear you, God may use that as a tangible expression to give them strength for today. Uh, you know, I, I had a, uh, I had a, a dear uh, friend of mine uh, who, he was, a, he was an elder in the church, and he said, Brett, we have to pray about everything. And I just thought you have to pray about big things. I didn't think you had to pray about everything. And uh, he, would, he would say, you know, we pray about everything, but that's what we do. And I said, yeah, okay, we'll see. And God in his mercy, uh, right after college, uh, it, uh, I was, uh, worked as a custodial for two years. And I had this key uh, that went to every door in the church, but there was one door in the church. And, and guess what? I had to open this door every day. And when I put my key in to open that door... <laughs> It was like Excalibur. I could not get the key back. I mean, you would see me in the hallways with my foot up on the door, yanking as hard as I could to get that key back. Uh, and I, I usually went to that door, and I, I had a series of things that happened with lunchtime with all the kids that I worked, uh, uh, that worked in, in the lunchroom with uh, that came right after. And so I would always be in a hurry. And I'll never forget this brother walking into the hallway one day, and he said, I told you. I'm not pointing at anybody. By the way, don't be at, be at peace, everybody. He said, I told you, we pray about everything, and we pray about that key. And I'm trying to get it out of the door. I'm like, I don't have time to get the key out of the door. Like, I've got to go, Coach Young, I've got to go. He said, don't you blow this, brother. He said, this is a time for us to remember God, his faithfulness to it. And I'm like, stop giving me the sermon. I've got to get the key out. And he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he said, we're going to pray. I said, okay. He says, God, would you release the key from the door and would you show my brother that you're in everything? Amen. I said, amen, I guess. Sure enough, that key comes right out. Now, in that moment, I could have went, okay, you know, that could have been coincidence. That key, you know, but I had done the key over and over again for 100 days in a row. I knew it wasn't coincidence. I knew it was the Lord. And what God planted in my heart in that moment, hear this, young ones, is that we pray about everything. And when we pray about everything and we make that our habit, it becomes like a human being breathing air. Prayer, we breathe in and out. And right prayer has adoration, supplication, and appreciation as a part of it. That helps us combat worry. What else helps us combat worry? Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling, and before long, we are pulled apart and are strangled with worry. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling, and, and, and you can be at peace. I'm going to do these next couple points fairly fast. That was my long point, okay? Right thinking. So it's right praying, and then it's right thinking. Paul says in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So it's not just right praying, 
that helps us combat worry, but it's right thinking. We, we need to come back to right thinking. Remember, worry is, is uh, when we lose control or we thought we had control and we, we lost it, uh, and our fears begin to intersect. Uh, and, and we begin to pull apart in different directions. But right thinking brings us back to the clarity that God is in control. I'm going to quit hitting this mic in a second. So he says, first, whatever is true, most of our worthy, worries I have found, and even talking with my dear friend who doesn't understand his situation, most of our worries are either imaginary, they never happened, or it involves something we have no control over. I, I want you to think about this, beloved, later today that there are legitimate things that will bring us to worry. And the Lord wants to use us as a vehicle to remember his grace and to not partake in doubting him in those moments. But vast majority, when I talk to people and counsel folks, most of the things that we worry about are things that may or may not happen in the future. Or they're usually things that you have no control over. And the Bible actually gives you a better focal point which is to focus on what is actually true. You, you recall this, that when Satan comes into the garden in Genesis 3, he wants to get them to say, or get them to believe, did God really say? Think about, don't think about what is true, think about what could be. If you partake of that fruit, you will be like God. And so it's the lie of Satan to try to get you to not focus in on the truth. But Paul says, Focus in on what is true. We know that Jesus is the truth and we are to walk in the truth. And because the truth in Jesus means, because Jesus is the truth, that means that we can shed the need for control. That we can uh, move aside our deceitful desires. That we don't have to follow the legacy of the first Adam, but following the second Adam, that we have been clothed in righteousness and holiness, and that if God did not spare his own son, says Romans 8, why would he not provide for you all things that you need for your sanctification and getting you to glory? So working from that great reality back, it anchors us, right thinking, it anchors us in the truth, and it helps us go, I don't have to try to plumb from God something that he doesn't want to give me for now because I know he will not spare anything from me that is needed if he gave me his only begotten son. It's an amazing reality. Uh, he goes on to say, whatever is honorable. Uh, honorable is used here as spiritual maturity, dignity, or authority uh, that, that is uh, shown into somebody, or you see this in someone's life, and it's worthy of respect. That's what he means by honorable. It's actually not just a focal point at God. It's actually to look at your brothers and sisters and to see the grace of God working it out in their life. Their maturity is actually drawing you to think about something that is honorable, which is the Lord who made that person honorable. Uh, whatever is just, uh, this is not referring to our legal standing that belongs to believers through Christ-imputed righteousness. Rather, it describes that which conforms to God's perfect norm of equity. An example of that would be, masters must treat their servants justly and fairly, according to Colossians 4.1. The example is simply, we see uh, that 
uh, that we conform to God's perfect norm. Whatever is pure, pure, that idea, is free from defilement or pollution. This, no doubt, touches on sexual purity and fidelity, but it extends well beyond that realm. And so we are to focus on what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely. This is the only place this word is used in the New Testament, beloved. And it's used else, but it is used elsewhere in, uh, in ancient Greek, as one commentator puts it. It suggests that it refers to the quality that warrants and attracts admiration. We think about what we are to admire. We think about what is lovely, what is beauty, what is beautiful in the world. God is a creator, and he created things beautiful, and it should catch our attention and cause us to worship the one true God. Whatever is commendable, these are the things that should be brought forth before us. Whatever is excellent or worthy of praise. I only did that, and I know that was very fast, but I only said those things to you to, to remind you and to remind myself that the Christian who fills his or her heart and mind with God's word will have a built-in radar for detecting wrong thoughts. That's our heart. That's Paul's heart for us, is to have a built-in radar for being able to discern that's not right. So that you and I are not like youth that are being tossed to and fro by the waves and winds of life, but are anchored in the rock, our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul tells us it's not just right praying, but it's right thinking. It's, it's daily meditation on the word of God. And that daily meditation on the word of God leads to what? It leads to right living. Look at what he says in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, we cannot separate outward action and inward attitude. You know this, brothers and sisters. Sin always leads to unrest. When we disobey God, what we know is right from the word of God, it always leads to a sense of unrest in our heart. And purity and obedience always leads to peace. And why is that? If you go back to our, our, uh, our passage, early on in our passage, uh, you will see that he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, this is verse 7, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace guarding, that idea, no doubt Paul being chained to a Roman guard is looking at himself being guarded. So he's going to be protected from other inmates and other civilians who may want to take his life. But the guard also is going to restrict him and not let him out. And the peace of God is guarding our hearts and our minds and our lives. And so when we disobey God, that peace that transcends how we feel, but certainly God uses us, uh, he uses our feelings. We are a whole person. When we don't feel like we're walking in step with God, God uses that sensation. God uses that barometer to 
to bring us back and make us aware, I need to be back in step with God. God's not taking his peace from us, but we are experiencing trying to get out from under the wing of God, and God wants our hearts to be moved by that. And so the peace of God guards our hearts, our feelings, and our minds. What is true in the Spirit of God pierces our hearts, which surpasses our understanding. He touches places that our understanding hasn't comprehended yet by the power of his Spirit. That's incredible. But Christianity is not some uh, a faith that doesn't involve the intellect. No, God wants all of your intellect, and we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that renewing certainly, brothers and sisters, leads to right living. And so when we obey by the power of the Spirit, we know and feel God's peace. And Paul says this in such a wonderful way. He says, learn and receive what you've seen and what you've heard. Paul didn't, he's not just referencing teaching this, he's saying, these are disciples that follow me as I follow Christ. My dear brother, who was an elder in that church, who uh, got me to see praying, um, I pray about everything, he was modeling for me. Follow me in this simple thing, and it will protect you one day when you walk through hardship. So you older brothers and sisters, you have a responsibility. You who are mature in Christ to model, just as Paul has modeled. It's, and, and as we rightly live, we know that the power of God is working in us and through us. And no matter our circumstances, God is not punishing us. It combats worry. Is God even for me? No, I can see God working in me and keeping me in this fight. My dear friend, who is struggling with, with the idea, is God really good? He's still in the fight. He's still seeking to believe scripture. And so should we, brothers and sisters, because one day God's gonna bring the fullness and make it all come to pass. But for now, as we are combating worry, we have right praying, right thinking, and right living. And we follow Paul, knowing that it's not just the peace of God that guards us, it's the God of peace that guides us. I was in Florida and I was sitting down with a dear friend for coffee there, a worship pastor, and he was hearing me say some things about um, our, our campus ministry at that time, and he said, hey, you sound like someone I know. Would you uh, come over here and meet this dear brother named Waylon Moore? And I said, okay, I'll go meet Waylon a pastor more, and we sat down together, and Waylon was in his late 70s, and we had such a wonderful time together. But one of the things that Waylon said to me is, Brett, in life, when you face troubles, you always attach the promise to the problem. What's the promise that God gave from his word that speaks to that current problem that you're facing? As we remember that, it'll help us continue to follow the God of peace who is leading us into triumphant victory. That day is coming, but while we are challenged, may we together, brothers and sisters, encourage one another to right prayer, to right thinking, and to right living. Amen?
Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.